0: Howdy, welcome back to another episode of our weekly podcast. We know you've got a buffet of media to choose from each week. That's why we put a lot of effort into finding stories from the Bible that have relevant lessons for us today. I hope you enjoy. The year was 1913. An ad was ran in the paper and it says this, men wanted for hazardous journey, small wages Bitter cold, long months of complete darkness, constant danger, safe return, doubtful, honor and recognition in case of success. This was Ernest Shackleton, captain of the Endurance. This was known as the Endurance Expedition. He wanted to be the first to make it to the Antarctic. I read this in a devotional, and I just wanted to share this little part with you today because it meant so much to me when I had read it. What they were is men who wanted to be part of something bigger than them. And they understood that in order to accomplish this great adventure, they would endure weeks, months, and even years of being uncomfortable. These mighty men were willing to risk They were willing to leave the safety of the harbor because they understood that's not what ships are for. Eventually, the Endurance became trapped in packed ice, crushed and sank, standing her 28-man crew on the ice. After months spent in makeshift camps on the ice, the ice continued to move northward the party took the lifeboats to reach the inhospitable and uninhabited Elephant Island. Embracing reality, Shackleton made the difficult and dangerous choice of taking five of the 28-men crew on an 800-mile open boat journey in a lifeboat to reach South Georgia, which would eventually lead to the rescue of the entire crew. Interesting enough, from the time they left the harbor to the time that they were saved was 22 months. Shackleton survived, and his men were saved because he he kept choosing to do something different. Sheer muscle couldn't break them free of the ice. Withstand the minus 100 degree temperatures and 100 mile an hour winds, or survive countless dark, lonely nights. Hope is what saw them through, and that hope came through the leader they trusted would do whatever it takes to find their way home. The captain of the endurance was was training his men how to take on the harsh realities, confront fear, band together, take risks in order to survive the ruthless forces of this dangerous world. They had to do it together and teach one another exactly what to do, what doing that meant. story sounds familiar, doesn't it, as Christians? Interesting enough, over 5,000 men applied for that job. The dictionary defines righteousness as behavior that is morally justified and right. Such behavior is characterized by accepted standards of morality, justice, virtue, or uprightness. The Bible standard of human righteousness is God's own perfection in every attribute, every attitude, every behavior, every word. Thus, God's law, as given in the Bible, both describes his own character and constitutes the plumb plumb line by which he measures human righteousness. So what is this righteousness? Do we need it? Do we have to have it? Let's turn to the Bible. 1 Corinthians 6, 9. 1 Corinthians 6, 9, it says, do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? I'll just go ahead, Romans 3, 9 says, there is none righteous, no, not one. So what are those two verses telling us? If the unrighteous is not going to inherit the kingdom, that means we would have to have righteousness to be able to inherit God's kingdom. What is righteousness? What is it? Psalms 119.72 tells us. It says, my tongue... Shall speak of thy word, for all of thy commandments are righteousness. Psalms 119, 142. The righteousness is an everlasting righteousness, and thy law is the truth. So we know we have to have righteousness. to to enter heaven. We know that none of us are. The Bible tells us that righteousness are the commandments of God. It is the law. I have a few quotes here that I want to read to you. First one is found in Selected Messages, page 366. Righteousness is obedience to the law. The law demands righteousness and this is and this the sinner owes to the law but he is incapable of rendering it the only way in which he can attain righteousness is through faith in order to meet the requirements of the law our faith must grasp the righteousness of Christ accepting it as our righteousness through union with Christ, through acceptance of his righteousness by faith. And the third one is, righteousness within testified is testified by the righteousness without. The righteousness by which we are justified is imputed. The righteousness by which we are sanctified is imparted. The first is our title, to heaven. The second is our fitness for heaven. So what does that mean? What is imputed? I had to look that up myself. So imputed, an example of imputed is Christ died on the cross and gave his blood to cover our sins. That's what imputed is. Imparted is, what do I do with that once I have it? What do I do with that righteousness once it has been imputed to me? It's impossible for any of us by our own power, our own efforts, to work the change in ourself. And this is what I want you to hear here. It is the Holy Spirit, the comforter, which Jesus said he would send into the world that changes our character into the image of Christ. And when that is accomplished, we reflect as a mirror the glory of the Lord. So if we just talk about this a second here is, we don't have righteousness. The law is righteous. We know that the law is God's character. And now we know that, that righteousness within is testified by righteousness without. What we do with that righteousness. And how we obtain that righteousness is through the Holy Spirit. In order that we may have the righteousness of Christ, we need daily to be transformed by the influence of the Spirit, to be partakers of the divine nature. It is the work of the Holy Spirit to elevate the taste, to sanctify the heart, and to ennoble the whole man. Selected messages. Page 374. The Bible doesn't talk a lot about Enoch. But through this study here, I found a quote from Ellen White, and I wanted to, we're so blessed to have Ellen White because she can shine light on things that we don't quite understand. But this quote is on Enoch. It says, Enoch was ever under the influence of Jesus. He reflected Christ's character, exhibiting the same qualities in goodness, mercy, tender, compassion, Sympathy, forbearance, weakness, meekness, I mean, humi- humility, and love. His association with Christ day by day transformed him into the image of Him from whom he was immediately connected. So the Holy Spirit lived within Enoch. What did the Holy Spirit bring with him that he gave Enoch and that he gives each and every one of us? It is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. The same thing that Ellen White described that Enoch had. And when when she described that, she was describing Christ's character she was describing Christ's law you know we look at the law and I and I uh, was looking searching last night I was just flipping through and I found a paper out of out of uh, Union College and it said something interesting and and it brought all this together to me it's the law has always been the law was in heaven The angels did not even know the law because the law lived within them. But God had to adjust the law or make it plain at Sinai so the sinful life could understand the law. That's why it reads a little bit different. It's the same thing, but he had to write it so sinful could understand it. If you turn to Exodus 33, this is when Moses was up on the mountain. When he was up there, he asked the Lord if he would show him his glory. If he would show him who he was, that would be his character. So in Exodus 34, the Lord said, I will show you my glory. I will show you my goodness. You can't look at me because you'll die, but I'll show it to you. Not only will I show it to you, I will tell you what it is. So not only did he show him his glory, he told them what it was. And that's in verse 6, 34, 6. And the Lord passed before him and proclaimed, Lord, the Lord God, merciful, gracious, long-suffering, abounding in goodness and truth, keeping mercies, mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgressions and sin. Does his character right there sound like what Ellen White described of Enoch? It's pretty much the same thing, isn't it? It didn't say that my character is don't covet, don't commit adultery, don't steal, don't kill. He didn't say that, did he? Even though that law shows love, as a Christian, when Christ comes to your heart, he changes your character. And at that point, we see the law through God's eyes. And God's eyes are love, joy, peace, long suffering. We don't see it as it is written for sinners. We see it through his eyes because we're taking on his character. So when, you, when people say the law is love, it is love. It definitely is. And we are to live those laws outwardly. What do we live? We live love and joy and peace and long-suffering. We live all of those so that others may see. Through, through his grace, they are justified, They are justified, made righteous. And every soul to whom Christ has imparted his righteousness is under solemn obligation to practice that righteousness. Now we know that we can't have righteousness without Christ living within our heart. But when he lives in our heart, our life changes. It's no longer the same. We become Christ-like. We become love, joy, peace, and long suffering. The righteousness of the law is seen in his life, which is Christ. We hunger and thirst after righteousness when we want to have all our thoughts and our words and our actions Christ-like. No work that the sinner can do will reflect the saving of the soul. Obedience was always due to the Creator, for He endowed men with attributes for this service. God required good works from from men always, but good works could not avail to earn salvation. It is impossible for man to save himself. He may deceive himself in regard to this matter, but he cannot save himself. Christ's righteousness alone can avail for his salvation. And this is a gift of God. It is a wedding garment prepared for you in which you may be welcome guests at the marriage supper of the Lamb. Let faith take hold of Christ without delay and you will be a new creature in Jesus, a light in the world. So if we bundle up what righteousness is, Righteousness is Christ dying on the cross, taking his blood and covering our sins. When God the Father sees us, he doesn't see us as sinners. He sees us with Christ's blood covered. He sees us with Christ's righteousness. And that is the important thing to look at righteousness. It's a free gift. We can't earn it. We can't do anything. There's nothing that we can do. We we are incapable of it. But we need it. And that we get through believing that Christ will do what he says he will do. And what he says he will do is cover our sins. But as I said before, I want to be very clear. When we accept Christ in our heart, He sends us the Holy Spirit. And that Holy Spirit changes our life. You know, you look at examples in the Bible like of the 10 virgins. All of them knew God. All of them went to church. All of them so-called believed. But only five of them had the spirit living within their heart. And unfortunately, me standing here or the pastor or an elder, they can't share that salvation with you, just like those other five could not share it with the ones that didn't have the spirit. It takes each and every one of us to spend that time, like Enoch did, with the Lord. And how do we do that? We have two options. We have his word, and we have prayer. We can come to the, straight to the Lord. That is how we gain that righteousness. In Mark 34, let's turn to our Bibles there. I'm going to talk about another story here. We're going to move to faith a little bit. Mark 34, verse 35 and 41. Starting with verse 35. On that same day, when evening had come, he said to them, let us cross over to the other side. Now, when they had left the multitude, they took him along in the boat as he was. And the other little boats were also with them. So not only did they get in a boat and go out, there were boats that followed them out to, the, out to the lake. And a great windstorm arose and the waves beat into the boat so that it was already filling. And he was in the stern asleep on a pillow. And they woke him and said to him, teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? Then he rose and rebuked the wind and the sea Peace be still, and the wind ceased, and there was a calm. But he said to them, why are you so fearful? How is it that you have no faith? He didn't say little faith, some faith. He said you have no faith. Now if you look at that story, you want to put yourself into it, they... The disciples were fishermen. They'd been in a boat many a times. And I could probably venture to say that they were in storms many a day when they were out there fishing. They knew how to handle a boat. They could get around. It wasn't a problem. The key here to me is the no faith. When that storm came up, I'm sure it was gigantic because it was filling the boat. They were doing, they all grabbed their oars. I'm sure they were doing what they thought they needed to do to save their life. Unfortunately, they lost sight of God. Christ was right there in their boat. Now, they had just come from Christ doing multiple miracles. He was preaching and healing. When it says, as he was, he was tired. He was worn out. That's why he went to sleep. But if you look in in, uh, uh, Patriarchs and Prophets, you'll look and see she describes a little more when the light shone on the the stars, or or not the stars because it was storming, but light shone on Christ. They saw peace in Jesus. He was peaceful. Now, how was Jesus peaceful? He was peaceful because he had God living in his heart. Like they should have had God living in their heart. Christ didn't do those miracles on his own. He didn't have the power. God gave that power. Remember at baptism when he sent the Spirit down to him? He gave him that power to do that. When he was laying there on on that bed, that storm didn't bother him because he had peace in God. The disciples didn't think of Christ first. Matter of fact, they didn't even think of all those other boats that were behind them in that same storm. They thought of themselves. What should have happened is they should have fell to their knees and prayed. You know, we all go through trials, every one of us. And there's more trials to come. The question here that I look at is how do we handle those trials? What do we do? Do we come to Christ first? You know, Christ died on the cross, shed his blood for us to save us. By doing so, he also gave us that avenue for him to carry our burdens. But yet we don't look at that. I don't know about you guys, but I'm Mr. Fix-It. When problems come my way, the first thing that I've always wanted to do is I can fix this. I can take care of this. That's how I lived my life. But I can tell you this, when Christ does come into your life, your life changes. You start to look to him first. First. And it's important to understand that because Christ knew at that point they still didn't understand what he was doing there. They still didn't understand the love and the power of God in heaven because he told them that you have no faith. The reason why God can do so little for his people is that they do not have faith in his power. When obstacles arise, they do not go to him and ask him how to work. They look at the discouraging features of the work and lose heart. That's Messages 163. <clears throat> I've told this story in Sabbath school before, but I'm gonna share it again because it, in my life, it has to do with faith. When... Uh, Uh, Lori and I were newly married. My mom got sick. She was 43 years old. And she was dying. And we'd go to the hospital to see her. And I would go down to the chapel and I would pray. I would pray and I would pray and I would pray. But she died. And at that point in my life, I looked at it and said, why did he let this happen? She was a good lady, had young children still at home. How could this even happen? And I know hate sounds like a strong word, but at that moment, I hated him. I didn't want anything to do with him. He could not hear me when I needed him. But if, you, if, I, if I'm gonna be honest and I look back at that situation, Christ performs miracles to bring glory to God. At that time, if he would have saved her, would I, my life have changed? Because at that time, I was what Ellen White calls a nominal Adventist. I'd show up to church here and there. I you know, really wasn't, didn't care a lot at that time. So would that have changed my life if he would have healed her? And I can honestly say probably not. But the good news in all of this is Christ left me to do and waller and left me to do what I needed to do. But he knew the time was right when he came to me and I would hear his voice. That's what was important. He knew he had to let me go. He had to let me live how I wanted to live because my life wouldn't have changed until I really needed him. And then he could come to me at that point, and I would hear. There is therefore no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. This is Romans 8, 1 to 4. Who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For the law of the Spirit is life in Christ. Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of the sinful flesh on on account for sin. He condemned sin to the flesh that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Repentance is associated with faith, and it is urged in the gospel of essential to salvation. This repentance has, it, has in it nothing of the nature of merit, but it prepares the heart for the acceptance of Christ and our, our Savior, the only hope of the lost sinner. You know, I've talked about faith and what faith is. Faith is truly believing that the Lord will do what he says he will do. We have faith here on earth. I mean, we have faith in our spouse. We have faith in our children. When they tell us something, we believe that they're gonna do what they say they're gonna do. But the faith in Christ is a saving faith. And that's where we need to point our direction. This is where we need to spend time with God. The path of faith and righteousness must be restored. Our salvation is not built upon work of righteousness, which we have done, but upon mercy and love. We may put all the works of our righteousness together, but they will be found, as, they will be found to be a sliding sand. We cannot rest upon them. And this is an important thing, that, that uh, a quote that I have that she said that really touched my heart. She says, you have to talk faith. You have to live faith. You have to act faith. You, that you may have an increase in faith. Exercising that living faith, you will grow to strong men and women in Christ. That was messages 1. 1889 the Lord has given us that example of how to reach his righteousness it is to believe in him that's all it takes but by believing in him he will send us the comforter he will change our life and what he asks of us is what is in us that we share with others about three, about three months ago, we had, out at Carter. we had a Hispanic camp meeting, and it was lunchtime. I was sitting at the table with some guys, and we were talking, and this youth pastor comes up to me. He says, can I ask you a question? I said, sure. I figured there was a plug toilet or something was wrong. I figured I had a problem. You know, he was coming up to ask. Me. He looks at me. He says, do you believe there's a God? And I said, Yes. And he says, how do you believe that? And I thought a minute and I said, well, because I've seen him in my life, what he has done for me. And he he nods his head and he looks at me and he says, how do we show them? And there was a table of kids sitting there. There was a table of youth sitting right there. I believe we go through trials in life. I believe things happen to us to strengthen our faith. But I also believe that we are to share those trials with others. People, even our young people, need to know that everything isn't perfect. We go through problems. We have problems. There's going to be many more. But it's how we handle them. And that's how they're going to learn. These stories that I read you today, those were trials in the Bible. Those were events that happened to those people. We have events too that we should be sharing with others, especially our youth, to let them know this is not unattainable. Christ is there. He is real. But they need to see that. And that's why the Lord says, if the righteousness is in me, it's going to show outwardly. That's the important thing. Are we showing Christ's righteousness outwardly? And what is Christ righteous? What is the law seen through God's eyes? Love, joy, peace, long-suffering. Kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. That's truly God's law. And that's what he brings to us when our character changes. The other side is, are we looking at God's law as don't steal, don't kill, don't commit adultery? Is that how we're looking at God's law? And it was designed for sinners. Remember, Christ died for you and me. He died for us to cover our sins, that when Christ looks at our Father in heaven, looks at us, he sees Christ's righteousness. We need his character in our life. And we need to be examples of Christ's character to all of those that we come in contact with. I want to close with this. It's a Bible verse that I keep near and dear to my heart. I think most of you that are here know that when there's ever prayer requests, I pray for our children. It's a rough time for our children and grandchildren to go up with all this social media and film and what's going on right now. It's a tough place for these children to be brought up. But I keep this verse. It's Jeremiah 31, 16 and 17. It says, thus saith the Lord, refrain thy voice from weeping and thine eyes from tears, for thy work shall be rewarded. When it says your work, what does that mean? That I gotta go out and do something? The work is what Christ does through me. We understand we just accepted him. He's changing us. That work is Christ living in me. So that work shall be rewarded, saith the Lord. And they shall come again from the land of the enemy. And there is hope in thine end, saith the Lord, that thy children shall come again to their own border. Amen? Amen. And I think it's a prayer that we need to keep up in front for all of our children, all of our grandchildren. It's a tough world. But you know what the Lord asks us? To do good works. That's what he's asking for us, is to do his will. Show that love and kindness and gentleness to others that we come in contact with. I don't think his word was put here to browbeat people. That's not what it was intended for. It's intended to show Christ's character, which is love. That's what it's intended for. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening. We record these messages each week at the Seventh-day Adventist Church in Adairsville. And if you're ever in the area, we'd love to see you. Stop in and say hi and enjoy some good Southern food with us. We'll see you next week.